Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be talking about how to structure income in retirement and the difference between a CPA and a tax program. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and president of Adrona Financial and CPAs. Hey, Brian, how you doing this weekend? I'm doing just fine. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, Brian. And as always, I hope our listeners are having a great weekend as well, too. We certainly do appreciate you including us in your weekend plans. Brian, pensions are becoming a thing of the past. We've talked about that before on prior shows. How do people replace their paycheck in retirement if they're not counting on a pension or something like it? Yeah, that's probably one of the the major things we deal with most people that we meet. A lot of people we meet for various reasons. They might come in because they're thinking about retiring and they want a full financial plan to tell them, do they have enough? Are they going to be okay? That's probably our number one. Some people are already retired and they want a better plan for being able to live the life they want to live using the resources they have. And they don't feel like they're in a good position for that. Maybe they heard some things on the radio or whatever and they say, oh, you're talking about things I have not even had brought up to me. So I need to check this out. Some people come to us because they inherited money, some because they're selling a business and some because they have a lot of investment in real estate. So those are really primary things. But one of the common themes to all of these people is many times when they come to us, the number one thing they want to solve for is cash flow in retirement because I am not working anymore or don't want to work and I may not have a pension or even if I have one, it's inadequate to fund the life that I want to live. So that is the most common thing is to uh, shore up cash flow because as I mentioned on the show, there's five things that money can do, uh, resources, you know, investment resources can do. So they can either provide cash flow, they can be secure, they can grow with a risk of loss, they can be liquid, and they can have tax savings associated with them. So no one investment does all five. So an investment plan involves trying to address all five of those areas. But the number one, I would say the most common thing that's it's always in the you know top two or typically always is cash flow. So solving for cash flow when you're not working anymore and you have inadequate pension is a really primary topic. And I would imagine that that is a monumental task too, is creating cash flow. But is cash flow always the priority, always the number one when it comes to those five things that money can do for you? No, it is not. And it's not even an age thing. I wanted to talk about this for a minute because, you know, we meet with a lot of folks and and everybody's a little different. So we don't put people in a cookie cutter because I was thinking about myself on this because most people that have been working as long as I've been working or even my my friends that maybe are retiring, they're always saying, hey, Brian, when are you going to retire and have the easy life? And I say, oh my gosh, be gone, Satan. Go away from me. I I don't want (laughs) to retire. I love my job. I love the impact impact it has. I love the impact it has on young people that I hire or the 35 folks at the firms or the thousands of clients. And it's important. I'm on the radio. And why would you want to take all that away from me? You know, Go away. And so for me, being a, a business owner, clearly security is not my number one, because if it was, you know, I wouldn't have a multi-million dollar payroll and be dealing with the IRS and the SEC and be managing, you know, many hundreds of millions of dollars and, and all this stuff. I mean, that would be the last thing on on the mind is somebody who wants a secure retirement and, you know, the easy life. And I'm choosing the opposite of the easy life, according to most people, because that's that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's where I feel called. And so uh, security would probably be last on my list. You know, that's not my world. Cash flow, well, I'm working, so I'm, I'm not worried about cash flowing investments. So growth for me was is number one. I'm growing the, the firms. I have a show called Growing Your Wealth. I mean, right? I, I'm living that <laughs> life. Whereas typical people my age come in, they go, well, I want to retire and I got to solve for cash flow first, security second. I still want it to grow. 
grow. I need enough liquidity. It doesn't have to be all liquid. And if there's any potential tax planning to do, I'd like to do that too as part of this transaction. And so uh, that is very typically what we do. But I've gotten 80-year-olds whose primary goal is growth because they have enough money. They don't care. It's, it's just, it's what they'd like to do. And certainly 40-year-olds, growth would be number one. But for most of my 60-year-olds, not all, but most of them, cash flow and security become, you know, really super important because they don't want to have to go back to work in case we have, oh, I don't know, 911.com, 2008 real estate and banking collapses, you know, uh, COVID recessions. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? And, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, when we have these things, they want to know they're going to be okay. And so a lot of our planning has to do with us telling them whether they're going to be okay or not in retirement based upon uh, what we're doing and what they have. Brian, for those people listening to the program who do place cash flow as a number one priority, I want to get into that a little bit. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, there is this 4% rule. You know, you can take out 4%. You're going to be okay the rest of your life. Is that a hard and fast rule? Does this always work for everybody? And how do you figure out whether or not it's going to work for someone? Absolutely not. (laughs) Thank you for asking that one. Because if we did this show 20 years ago and you were reading the magazines and periodicals and so forth, maybe it was uh, more than 20 years ago, it was the 8% rule. And I remember that. It It was like we had inflation, we had, you know, returns were high and all this stuff. And people were saying all the time, oh, you can take 8%, you'll be just fine. But something weird happened, you know, the dot com collapse and all that. And a lot of people's accounts got cut in half almost overnight, it seemed like. And so all of a sudden, the 8% rule uh, didn't work for tens of millions of people. And people are looking at it going, wait a second, what's up with that? And then it became the 6% rule. And then it became the 4% rule. And it's the 4% rule. You should be fine. I can show you graphs all day long of the last 20, 40, 50 years that might say you'd be fine. I can also show you graphs for long extended periods of time, for instance, from 1929 to World War II, where you would absolutely not not be fine. Now, if you can give me a crystal ball that tells me all the global economic issues that are going to occur during the rest of your life and tell me what impact that will have on your portfolio, great. I'll give you a rule. But we can't do that. We cannot even come close. We have no idea what the financial implications of the globe are going to put upon us during the years of our retirement. Because of that, we can't just pull up some old graph and hope that some rule that we follow, like a 4% rule, will be fine. You know, because again, the timing of when these things occur relative to your portfolio, there's many studies out there that says, well, if you retired in, you know, 1999 or 2007 or some other time right before a big drop, that you could be in serious problems uh, if you're relying on one of these rules. And your whole retirement plan is completely upside down there. So that 4% rule just doesn't account for enough. And so I think the primary reason uh, problem with that 4% rule is the lack of diversity in people's Mm -hmm. holdings. Too many people out there are stuck to just a couple areas, whether that be stocks or bonds, and they don't have enough diversity to get through some of those, those challenging times, financial times that we have had. And you talked about uh, market conditions and world events and so forth. And uh, of course, there's longevity that figures into this conversation, too. I've mentioned before that I have an aunt who's 106 years old. Now, she retired at 65. So she's had a good 40 years in retirement. The 4% rule just would not work for her. Maybe even the 2% rule wouldn't have worked for her. So it all depends. If you can tell us when you're going to die, it really makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, if, if you got two years to live, I, I, you know, I 50%. joke about this. Yeah. You take half your portfolio, uh, cut it in half and spend half on, in each of the two years. But we don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know how long our spouses are going to live. Many of us have children. We want to leave money to them, too. We have legacy plans, and so we're already getting more complex. One of the big issues that I see is that if you use statistics and you say, well, the past is going to just repeat. I'm like, okay, well, the market you know, on average might crash every seven to eight years. Can you tell me when those are going to occur and if they're going to occur in consecutive years or not? And, oh, gee, no, I don't know. Well, that matters because if they happen early in your retirement and you're pulling money out and that happens early, all of a sudden you're pulling the 4% on, you know, 60% of your portfolio or 70 or 50 or whatever it crashed down to. And that's not getting replaced because that money's gone. 
and you're pulling money out. So it's a sequence of return risk that you're taking. So you don't even know that. Even if you knew it was going to crash every seven to eight years on average, you wouldn't know when that's actually going to happen. Can you tell me when the next 10-year flat market's going to happen? We had one from 2000 to 2010, basically, uh, started and ended at the same place uh, with two massive crashes, 911.com and the 2008 in between. So even if you hadn't touched your portfolio, you wouldn't have made any money for 10 years. Well, if that's the first 10 years of your retirement, Houston, we got a problem. And we've got other 10-year flat markets to deal with. So could that happen in your lifetime? Well, it just did. So I would say, yeah, it's a possibility. It's a real possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen or not, but we don't know is the point. So that's, again, why we need diversification outside of when I say flat market, I'm talking about particular markets. It might be the stock market. It might be the bond market or a component of those. But it might be what you're invested in if you're not in enough different areas of investments. Brian, you talked about diversity. Can you kind of summarize that for us? Yeah, I, I kind of want to go to what people are bringing to us uh, very often. There is one of two. It's either they're taking too much risk because they don't have enough diversity in their growth assets. It might be a, a stock bond portfolio and that's all they have. But there's another kind of risk that's out there. There's a risk of not having enough growth in your portfolio. You just mentioned your relative that had 40-year retirement. Right. And if they didn't have enough growth in that, and I, I see too often advisors put their clients' money almost almost always in one area, annuities, because they're saying, well, you can't take any risk. Well, what if I have a 30-year portfolio? Isn't 30 years a a long-term portfolio where I can take some risk? No, 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 no. Don't take any risk at all. Well, if I don't take any risk, my return may not be enough to support the lifestyle I want to live for 30 years. Now, annuities could be a component. Stocks should be a component. Bonds can be a component of a very diverse portfolio. But if you're just in stocks and bonds or somebody's just pushing annuities on you, for a bulkier portfolio, you might be missing a great opportunity if you have a long retirement. You could be subjecting yourself to inadequate returns for a long period of time because you haven't diversified between the five attributes of investments, which is growth, cash flow, security, liquidity, and tax savings. We need all of them working, not just one or two of them working. And so that that's how I would summarize our diversity conversation. Brian, I want to talk directly to our listeners here right now. If you want to maximize your income in retirement without taking too much resulting in running out of money, I want you to listen up because this is for you. We've opened the phone lines right now so you can call 833-673-7373 and request your complimentary Madrona analysis. Now, this analysis is going to take a look at your income sources while taking into account possible market crashes and tax events and uncover any blind spots that might affect your cash flow in retirement. Once again, this analysis is totally complimentary. So call right now. The phone lines are open at 833-673-7373. Imagine seeing that the markets are crashing, but you're not concerned because your cash flow is okay as a result of you doing the work today. Whether what's right for you is annuities, dividend income, rental real estate, REITs, pensions, you've reviewed your options through a comprehensive lens and chosen the right approach for you. Instead of talking to a salesperson who only has one or two things to offer, why not talk to an advisor who can offer all of it? Now, you must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify, but if you do, we'll send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Once again, phone lines are open right now, so you can request your Madrona analysis. That number, 833-673-7373, 833-673-7373. Give that number a call right now, because this one call really could make all the difference. Brian, we talked about cash flow here and in its many different forms. I want to review the different forms that cash flow can take and have you give your comments on each of these. Let's start with annuities, fixed versus fixed index and variable annuities. Yeah, this is a very important topic. Uh, annuities get talked about a lot, especially on the on the radio. A lot of times people don't even use the term annuity for whatever reason. Annuities are an insurance company product. And to me, they can do one of two things potentially well. One is they can be a secure investment. So I call these accumulation annuities. And that's just my term for it. Meaning I'm just relying on them to accumulate income interest over a period of time without taking risk that other assets have. And so those type of annuities could be fixed in 
annuities or fixed index annuities, they're not the kind that pay you monthly cash flow. So a lot of people hear annuity, they think monthly cash flow. Nope, these are just safe investments. So they're kind of like a bank CD. So a bank will issue, you know, I'll give you a safe investment for nine months or a year and it will pay a certain interest rate. And at the end of that time period, if the rate drops, then you can renew to a lower rate CD. Well, an annuity is typically longer term, so it might be three years, five years, seven. But you can lock in at a relatively high rate right now, relative to where it's been, or you can have a blended return with a floor of zero. You know, if the market crashed, you get a zero that year. And if it went up, you, you get some percentage of an index or, or something like that. So they're a safe investment, and there can be a place in portfolios for that. So let's say you picked something and had a nice interest rate. You might take that interest as cash flow in your retirement. You know exactly what it's going to be. The other kind of annuity is one that is kind of more has attributes like a pension, where it's going to pay you monthly cash flow if the rest of your life. You can get them a second to die if you're married. If you both die prematurely, uh, the insurance company does not keep the money they haven't given out that they were supposed to. They, they give it to your heirs. It goes to your state. And so that's the other kind. So you can get guaranteed lifetime cash flow with that kind of annuity, or you can get the other kind of annuity and just pull out the earnings each year. And you, you can pull out some of the principal too if you want, if you need it to live on. But those are the two kinds of annuities, and they may have a fit in a financial plan. They may not. Sometimes one or the other is a good fit for a particular person. If you want max security and you just want to count on your cash flow for life, I could use the lifetime cash flow uh, annuity. But do know that when you do those, uh, some of that check that you're getting is principal. And the value of that annuity is, is designed to go to zero if you live long enough. So it's not return on investment like a lot of salespeople want to tell you because part of that money is your own money coming back. So you want to be working with someone that's going to give you the straight scoop when it comes to annuities. So the number one attribute with annuities would be security, but there's also some element of cash flow as well, too. So those are fixed, fixed index. And of course, uh, variable annuities, you don't really use a lot of those because of the high fees, right? That's correct. Variable annuities, uh, they have a very large commission. We're held to the fiduciary standards, so we can't sell these kinds of commission products, which is a good thing for our, our clients that we are held to that standard and that we can only sell the types of products that doesn't have a commission coming out of the value of your account being paid to us. Okay, cash flow coming in different forms here. Annuities number one. Next one is going to be dividend income. What are some of the forms of investments that you could use that produce dividend income? Yeah, we'll start with stocks. It's stocks and bonds. And so uh, stocks can pay a dividend. Now, if you buy the index of stocks, the S&P 500, uh, there's a lot of tech stocks that don't really pay a whole lot of dividends. You know, the conversation could be uh, with your advisor at a big box advisory firm. How much am I getting on my dividend stocks or my, my index? And they might say, well, 2%. Well, what's your fee? One and a half. Oh, so I'm netting half a percent? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I got a million dollars. That's half a percent. It's five grand a year. That's not going to pay for a whole lot. So that can be a problem. Now you can go with a mix of individual stocks or funds that concentrate on high dividend paying stocks. The issue can be that you might lack diversity because they might be buying utility stocks, bank stocks, and real estate. Okay. Well, that, that can be okay, except uh, it was not okay in 2008 because the stocks that did the worst were bank stocks and real estate stocks, two of those three I just mentioned, and they plummeted. And so you think you're getting a nice dividend yield, but then, oh, but my account's not worth nearly what I put into it. And so that dividend may get cut. And so you have to be careful if that's all you're doing. I've met people that, or one, one guy in particular, he was doing all high-risk uh, lending funds. And he was bragging about, I'm making 13%. I said, wasn't well, your account value way down? Yeah, I don't worry about it because I get my cash flow. I'm like, okay. Then 2008 happened and his stuff wasn't worth 20 cents on the dollar. I mean, mm. he just got wiped out. And that was all he had. Again, back to the diversity comment. It's not that high yield stuff is bad. It's bad when it's 80% of your portfolio. I love annuities when they're right. It's bad when it's 80% of your portfolio. Uh, I like the stock market. I, it's not great when it's 80% of your portfolio <laughs> right before dot-com crash in 2008 right. and, and COVID and all, you know, all these times. So having a blend of all of these, but the, from the cash flow standpoint, you can construct a component of your investments in dividend income stocks and or bonds. Now, bonds had not been paying very well for quite some time, and so that hadn't been a good area. Rates are up now, so it might be a, a discussion you would have that you wouldn't have had two years ago. 
Another form that cash flow comes in, Brian, is rental real estate. But I think a lot of people miscalculate their cash flow when it comes to rental real estate. Oh, probably not more than about 98% of people I talk to. <laughs> yeah. When you get on your place, 8%, like really? Uh, yeah. How do you compute that? I take my gross rents per year and divide by what I paid for it 20 years ago. No, that's not how you calculate it. <laughs> when we get the end of the actual true analysis and factor in deferred maintenance that they might pay over the next five to 10 years, very often that figure becomes zero to 2%. And they go, huh, so I'm being a landlord, which I hate to do, for 0 to 2% net to me in the bank after everything's paid up. And they're like, yeah, I'm afraid so. Can you do something to help me with that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So that's where different kinds of real estate can provide cash flow in retirement. That could be uh, selling your investment real estate and doing a 1031 exchange into something called a Delaware Statutory Trust, which is just passive real estate that happens to qualify for 1031 exchange. So you don't have any income tax to pay. You don't have to be a landlord anymore. Uh, you get your monthly share of the rent check uh, going forward. And so that can be a really nice cash flow and life change uh, to the better. Other kinds of rental real estate, maybe you still own rental real estate and it's rental houses or office building, industrial park, uh, whatever it is. You might be getting decent net cash flow from that and want to hang on to it. Certainly, if you're a developer in your 40s and 50s, you want to keep doing what you're doing. But I talk to a lot of folks in their 60s, 70s, and 80s that are like, eh, uh, it's done what it's supposed to do. I'm ready to get out of the landlording business. Can you help us, Brian? Uh, yeah, we've done $180 million of 1031 exchanges to basically help people retire from being a landlord. In the vein of talking about real estate, another form of cash flow could come from real estate investment trusts or REITs. Can you comment on those? Yeah, uh, REITs are where you pool money with other investors and, and they buy large swaths of different kinds of real estate. It could be a specific type of real estate that the REIT buys or it could be a blended portfolio. Uh, we tend to use a lot with blended portfolios and because it's rents they you know the rents can be pretty decent returns so that can be another uh, aspect of cash flow in retirement uh, much better than a typical stock and if you have the right REITs you can buy the wrong ones you know it's real estate you can buy the right real estate or the wrong real estate so we spend a lot of time vetting these to make sure that they can be good there's also credit funds that that can pay very high interest i don't have time to really get into that but you know just you know bringing this up again we, we've been talking about annuities whether they're fixed and you pull the interest off fixed index you know pulling the interest or guaranteed lifetime cash flow annuities dividend stocks could be bonds that you buy and, and pull the interest off of them rental real estate that's active or passive through a delaware statutory trust through 1031 exchanges and real estate investment trusts uh, where you get your share of the rental income or credit funds where you get share of pretty high market rate interest right now and brian the last form the cash flow can take is pensions and social security yeah, Jeff, I could do a whole show on these two, so I'll try and summarize them pretty good. With pensions, some people do have them. In our, our Washington offices, we have a lot of people that work at Boeing, and they might have a pension. But one of the issues with that is it's a flat payout for life. So, oh, we have inflation now that we have to deal with, and that's not going to cover that. Another thing that I've done over the years is I say, okay, what's your break-even point? Maybe you should take that pension. Now, most advisors would say cash it out and buy an annuity from me so I can get you know paid. Uh, we don't do that. We analyze that and figure out the break-even to see if it makes sense to maybe take that pension. And so there's a lot of discussions that should be had, honestly had, about how to take your pension, but understanding that if it's a flat payout, we need to provide for inflation, especially now that, that it's so rampant. Same with Social Security. There's a huge analysis that should be done because maybe there's some tax planning you want to do in your 60s for Roth conversions while you're in a lower bracket. Well, if you started Social Security early, you don't get the raises and you don't leave as much to your spouse potentially if you die prematurely. But you also make it hard to do tax planning if you have this additional income being taxed already. And sometimes people might say, well, I'll put off Social Security because I have income from these other sources you've been talking about, Brian, in my 60s to make up for it. And I could do some tax planning, uh, Roth conversions, do all this cool stuff. And then in my 70s and beyond, you know, 70, I, I start taking Social Security at the maximum amount I could take. So 
that might be a discussion we would have, but we'd like to keep our options open. So don't just make a decision on, you know, on the back of a napkin kind of computation. Let us help you with that and make the right decisions. Brian, based on our conversation, I'm sure that our listeners have some questions about cash flow in retirement. If you want to maximize your income in retirement without taking too much, resulting in running out of money, then listen up. This is for you. We have opened the phone lines for you right now, 833-673-7373, for you to request your complimentary Madrona analysis. Once again, that number is 833-673-7373 for this complimentary Madrona analysis. 833-673-7373, and you can call that number right now. Brian, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue with Growing Your Wealth and discuss the difference between a CPA and a tax program. Stay tuned. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to Growing Your Wealth. I'm Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this next segment, we'll be talking about the difference between a CPA and a tax program. And Brian, I think almost everybody I know files their taxes via one of these online tax programs that you can buy or lease, or maybe they go to one of the big box tax preparers. Why would someone want to go to a CPA to file their taxes? Well, there's a reason why I have a profession and a business that is a CPA firm is because, you know, these online uh, tax programs do serve a good purpose. Uh, certainly for most people, they, they don't have a very complex tax situation. And so they can be used for that purpose. The issue comes when you do have some complexity and it may not be something every year. So a lot of people they'll come to us and we're investing their money and we're also doing their tax returns along with that. And it's not every year. But when it does show up, maybe they're selling a business, planning a retirement, planning a, an investment strategy around their retirement with Roth conversions. Maybe they're planning on getting out of their investment real estate over a period of time. An inheritance happens. They want to do gifting, charitable giving strategies. You know, I could go on and on and on. There are situational things where a tax program really isn't going to, turbo taxes or, or any of these aren't going to step up and say, oh, you own investment real estate. Did you know? that when we did a Schedule A page one analysis that your return is low, your cash flow is low relative to what you could do if you do a 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust, but avoid these particular kinds of Delaware statutory trusts because they don't do as well as an inflationary environment, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm, I'm kind of just being silly here, but they can't ask these questions and answer them. That's not what they're designed to do. So when you have those situations, you're going to want to know, and, and you can't just call up a CPA and say, yeah, you don't know me. You don't know anything about my situation, but here's something I need an answer to. And, and I would think most CPAs would go, hold on, hold the fort. I can't answer that. I don't know your whole situation. I don't know you. I don't know your past. You know, I don't know the kind of you know investor you want to be or, or anything like that. And it's very difficult to answer. You know, I could tell, I can look up, you know, what's the max I put into a Roth. Okay, let me look it up. I'll Google that. But the situational things where you need judgment experience from somebody qualified, uh, you can't just call someone up out of the blue and, and get that. So a lot of people want a CPA because they know that when these things come up, they'll be addressed. And certainly a, a lot of our investment clients use us for our CPA services to coincide with our investment services, which I think is kind of the reason why we do what we do. I will say though, a number of my clients have pretty simple returns and they just mm -hmm. do it themselves on these uh, online platforms. And that's fine too. But certainly many of my clients have more complex situations they want us uh, looking at all aspects of their finances and their taxes along with their estate planning. And again, I want to point out the TurboTax Intuit, things like that, they're very, very good for what they do if that's all you have is, uh, you know, some basic income, you've got some standard deductions, they're great at doing that. But if you've got more than that, you may need a CPA. So, Brian, what are some of the questions that someone would want to ask themselves? Or basically, people just don't know what they don't know. They don't know the questions to ask to determine whether or not they even need a CPA or the type of CPA that they need, because all CPAs are not created equal. They are not. Absolutely not. Like anything. I mean, you could be, uh, okay, I work in the medical field. Oh, all right. Well, you do my heart surgery? Since you work in medical, you must be able to do that. You said medical. I mean, well, no, I check people in at, at the dentist office or whatever it could be. And it's like, oh, 
well, you're not qualified then. You know, I'd clean people's teeth. I can't do your heart surgery. You know, everybody specializes in something. And CPAs are not going to specialize in everything. Sometimes they specialize with business owners. Maybe it's farmers. Maybe it's simple 1040s. I can name a couple things I don't specialize in. Uh, if you come to us and say, yeah, I've got some tax returns in Europe or New Zealand or, or, or even Canada, I say, well, we don't do that. We don't do foreign tax returns. Oh, how about cost segregation studies? Yeah, no, I'll send you to the, the firm up the street that specializes in that. Oh, what about auto dealerships? Uh, nope, we don't specialize in that, but I know a firm that does. And so there are certain things that we do not specialize in, but we do specialize in retirement planning and obviously investment advisory services. And so a vast majority of people that we talk to that have at least 500,000 of investable assets that they move over to us to manage, we can do their tax returns, which some of the areas that we certainly focus on is business succession or real estate succession for sure, investment real estate, alternative assets, that kind of thing, cash flow and retirement, you know, Roth conversion planning for those kinds of things, legacy planning, making sure your will or living trust has the proper trust provisions in there done up by your attorney and so forth. So pulling all that stuff together is important for a vast majority of higher net worth folks, and that's primarily who we work with, but not everybody uh, understands all that. And most CPAs are not licensed as investment advisors, so they, they can't really answer a lot of the questions and they don't have the product knowledge. It's it's not that there's something wrong with them. It's just that that's not their field of, of study or licensing like it is ours. Brian, can you expand on some of the blind spots that a CPA may see? Yeah. So if, you know, when I was just a CPA and not an investment advisor, I really couldn't give good advice on Roth conversions because one thing that's not on a tax return is how much are your qualified accounts worth? I don't even know. And as a tax preparer, I haven't done a financial plan for you for the rest of your life. So I don't know that in the future, you're going to have some low bracket years unless I've done that. And so no CPA really has access to those kinds of things to give proper advice on that. As a CPA, you know, I do the Schedule E page one where you have your rental schedule. But I didn't know what your fair market value of your property was. I didn't do an analysis of your cash flow, whether it was adequate. I do now. You know, it's kind of like a 1040 treasure hunt. An advisor-CPA combo can look at your return and find kind of hidden gems there. Uh, maybe it's uh, talking about the uh, business succession plans for your Schedule C or Schedule E holdings, Schedule E page two where your S-Corps and LLCs reside, or your uh, Schedule E page one with your rentaling properties. There's so many things on there that we could get into. I could do many shows on this. In fact, I'm putting together a program on exactly doing this for clients. But as CPAs alone, we're not trained to do that. We're not licensed to comment on it. And it's not our focus. Our focus is on getting the, the tax return right when we're just being a CPA. So that's why I think you need a team if you have a CPA, great. If you like them, great. You should keep them. I love, you know, we love to work with other CPAs, but we come in it from the investment standpoint to maximize the combination of skill sets between the CPA and the advisor. If you don't have a CPA, well, obviously we're a CPA firm too, so we can provide that also. Brian, I've talked to a number of financial advisors who say, well, we don't have CPAs actually in the building. We don't employ them, but we have synergistic relationships with CPAs. It may come into the office once a week or we can call them if we have a question. Why do you think that that is a problem for people who need this sort of work? Boy, how do I say this? So if I had some serious medical things and I went to some place, yeah, we don't actually have doctors. Okay. And we don't even, we don't have a registered nurse and we don't have any specialists, but we read a, a book you know, okay. where we have somebody without any licensing that can talk about a couple topics. And I understand you have cancer and you have a few problems, you know, come on in. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think I'll go I to think, a cancer specialist. Yeah, yeah. I might go to a cancer specialist in this case. I might. I might pick somebody that's actually qualified to deal with the, with the things I have. Now, if I had, uh, you know, a cut, I needed some, you know, antibiotics or and, and a bandage. Okay, I'll come to you because I know you're cheaper and it'd be uh, quicker, easier to get in to see. So yeah, I mean, in any walk in life, uh, you got to decide whether you you want the advice from the people licensed and qualified with the decades of experience and the knowledge and the 
product resources and, uh, and all of that or not. And unfortunately, you know, a vast majority of financial advisors or annuity salespeople are not licensed to give tax advice. They say they give it and they have to be real careful about their wording because it's not actual, you know, they're not CPAs. They, they can't give authoritative tax advice. They can give you tax advice and your neighbor can, your garbage man can, your kids can. Anybody can give you tax advice. You know, who do you want to get it from though? I, I think especially when you're selling your, your business or planning your legacy plan or selling your real estate or thinking about retiring or thinking about doing Roth conversions. These are pretty heavy, big topics or, or advanced charitable gifting strategies or whatever. Wouldn't you like to get the answers from somebody that's licensed to give that stuff and has been doing this as a licensed professional for decades and has many people on staff that are also licensed and been doing it for decades as opposed to somebody that has the same licensure as, as your garbage man, basically, right. to, to give that kind of advice. I mean, it's up to you, but I, I know where I'd want to go. Brian, I would imagine that in all the years that you've been doing this, you have had clients come to you who have dealt with an advisor who said that they know how to do taxes or that they had a synergistic relationship with a CPA, but in reality, it has caused them a lot of problems. Can you give me an example or a couple of examples of cases? Yeah, I'll give you a couple. Uh, one of my advisors, she was in the building she rents. There was this other advisor on this floor. So she introduced herself. So what do you guys do? Uh, we do in investment advisory and tax advice. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, what, what kind of a products do you, do you offer? Oh, we just offer annuities. Okay. Well, that's a form of investment advice. Okay. Do you put money into real estate or stocks or bonds? Nope. Just annuities. Okay. Uh, what kind of tax advice do you give? Well, we make sure that people have the income coming in for their life so they can pay their taxes. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we sell them annuities to make sure they have enough income to pay their taxes. And that, I guess, is a form of tax advice. <laughs> a very, very poor one, in my opinion. But she kept a straight face, left the office, and just shook her head. Wow, that's tax advice. Okay. Well, not in my world. You know, we have 20-ish people in our CPA firm alone. And so I've been doing this for almost, I've uh, been a CPA for almost 40 years now. And that would not qualify as tax advice under the Brian Evans uh, <laughs> Dictionary. Okay, so another situation, though, which was really interesting, I went to an alternative investments conference. So people there were pretty serious, and they were talking, uh, these sponsors were talking to new ones, were talking about DSTs they were rolling out. And I was looking over their data, and I was seeing stuff and just shaking my head going, oh, this stuff, I don't know about this. And, and I had another couple of advisors go, isn't this great? Look at the pictures of their properties. Look at their projections and, and their cash flow. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, you guys are completely missing the mark. Did you read the actual data in the back that they're borrowing from reserves to uh, inflate their cash flow way above what it actually is, what their actual net operating income supports? And that they're promising a certain cash flow for a period of time and it's going to drop by more than half. And I'm, I'm thinking it's right in front of you here, but then I realize, okay, I have a little advantage here. I'm an auditor by trade. I audited financial statements. I prepared audited financial statements and reviewed financial statements, compiled financial statements for decades. And so I know how to, you know, I prepare them for a living. I know how to read one. And uh, it occurred to me that that's not the training of a financial advisor is not auditing and accounting. And so I'm seeing stuff in there that uh, they weren't seeing. And it was huge because they're going to have to go back to their client and explain to them why their cash flow is cut in half. And that was all right in front of them from day one and they didn't see it. And so I'm avoiding those DSTs. I'm not using them and they will be, and it's going to be a tough time for so there is a qualitative difference between even advisors that are trying to do the right thing and someone maybe a little bit more experienced in the uh, financial statement realm. Brian, I want to talk directly to our listeners here. If you're working with an advisor that maybe is too narrowly focused or maybe they're using an online tax program or something that's very simplified that really doesn't take into account your individual situation, then this is for you. I want you to listen up because right now we're offering you the opportunity to call and get your complimentary Madrona analysis. That's right. Right now, we have opened up the phone lines for you at 833-673-7373. That's 833 833- 
303-673-7373. Whether you're a farmer, whether you're a business owner, whether you're a landlord, no matter what your situation is, you probably have some individual circumstances that maybe every tax preparer or CPA may not be able to answer for you. If that is the case, you owe it to yourself to call this number 833-673-7373. Once again, you must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify. But if you do, we'll send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Once again, that number 833-673-7373. Imagine in the future that tax laws have changed and you were not taking advantage of all the opportunities that you could have because you didn't consult a CPA that is also a financial advisor. Well, you can avoid that fate by calling 833-673-7373. You can do it right now for your complimentary Madrona analysis. Again, 833-673-7373. Phone lines are open right now. Brian, let's get back to our discussion about advisors who are also CPAs. What do you do when someone comes to you who's made a bad decision and they're looking to you to fix it? Yeah, that's an interesting thing in our profession. So for instance, with my house, if I've had uh, hired somebody to do a repair and they finished and they did it poorly, I can hire someone else to just redo it. Uh, it cost me some money and some time, but I can get it redone. That's really not the case with tax law or with transactions. You can't just redo a transaction. So one of the things that you know people come to me and say, yeah, I was listening to this guy and, and I went to a seminar and he talked me into putting my whole retirement into annuities. But I've realized after the fact that uh, it's not really what I needed with all my money. Can you fix it? And I might look at that situation and go, well, there's things we can do, maybe take free withdrawals and start doing other things with the money, but you're kind of locked in. You got a massive surrender fee if you try and get out of these things. And I know you need liquidity. I know this, that, and the other. We'll do the best we can given where we're at, but I wish we weren't in this situation. Another one, I, I just recently had somebody call me. Yeah, I want you to talk to my friend. He just sold his farm and now blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, he sold it. Yeah, yeah, it closed. I'm like, well... You know, we could have been talking about 1031 exchanges and, and saved him. In this case, it was going to be a million and a half in tax. And I could have helped save for him. And I didn't get the opportunity because I was talking to him, you know, would have been talking to him after the fact. So the best I can do is, well, today going forward is, you know, we can do X, Y, and Z. But man, I could have done a lot more if you just called me beforehand. So one thing I want to mention to people listening is if you have a big decision, like you're getting ready to hire a financial advisor and you're not sure if you're getting a straight scoop on everything or, or access to everything, have us take a look at it too. Or if you have a big transaction coming, uh, sale of a business, I want to talk about that in a moment here in my conversation with a business broker this last week, uh, sale of investment real estate, any kind of big transitional moments, an inheritance or uh, upcoming retirement, please give us a chance to, to maybe take a look at that before you make a final decision. I, I know people know their advisor and they're their friends and their CPAs and so forth. They're their friends. But when it comes to this stuff, you, you want to make sure you're getting it right, friendship aside. So we're nice people too, but you know, <laughs> I, I would really encourage people to get that uh, opinion from somebody qualified. I want to expand more on something that I think a lot of people are interested in here, and that is the sale of a business. And you promised to give us some examples of where things maybe went right and things went wrong. Yeah, I had a really interesting discussion with a business broker uh, this last week, a really sharp fella. And he used to be a financial advisor that actually did uh, 1031 exchanges, the DST. So he knew stuff that, that I knew, and which was great. And one of the biggest things that he was hitting on, and we've t I've talked about this on shows of the past, is about staging a business for sale. So many times people come to him and they've been told that their business is worth, in this case, he was giving me an example, a business worth $3 million. So the CPA said this, the advisor said this and all this stuff. And he was like, ah, uh, no, it's actually worth a lot more than that. There, you know, we got to do a couple of things. We call it staging a business for sale. Got to make sure the financials are right. Make sure that people understand the valuation is tied to EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. 
and a multiple of that on a turnkey business where you've done your proper succession planning, kind of nerding out here. But when he did that analysis and helped them get to that point, instead of just some generic, oh, it's worth one times gross sales. Well, no, that's not how a real business is going to sell. There were things that they could do, and they did in this case. So this, this company hired them to essentially help them stage it and sell it. And instead of $3 million, uh, they were able to get $6 million for the hmm. business. So you work your whole life and you can double it with some good advice from one person. Now, that wasn't the whole story because beyond that, the business owned some real estate. So that's where he said, you know, I'm dealing with these CPAs and advisors and they don't know anything about the stuff you talk about, Brian. I said, yeah, we want to bifurcate that sale between the real estate aspect and the other stuff. The other stuff being goodwill, non-compete, equipment, hot assets, you know, all the different attributes because they all have a different tax aspect. Uh, different tax rates uh, applied to them. There may be sales tax on certain things, not on others, and so forth. And so understanding that in the bifurcation as a sales proceeds, understanding that the goodwill could be reinvested into an opportunity zone, which could grow tax-free, that the real estate could have been sold and invested into other passive real estate using a 1031 exchange in a Delaware statutory trust, tax-deferred and potentially tax-free upon uh, a legacy plan. And so uh, just on and on, and on we were talking about all these things and he says man there's just nobody out there that i can talk to that gets this stuff you know and he wanted to start working with us closely mm-hmm. on the business sales stuff but i i also want to work with him with my clients to help stage a business for sales so that my clients can get a lot more for the business they didn't know it was worth as much as it was worth yeah and a lot of people don't understand what staging a business is and i think it largely and correct me if i'm wrong has to do with the financial aspects of that and you've told many famous stories i'll call them famous stories about people who were trying to sell you a business that really didn't even have a profit and loss statement. Oh, I remember that one. Uh, this uh, CPA firm in the next city it was. And I went to his office. I said, all right, you want to sell your business? Yeah. Uh, so let me see your financials. And he hemmed and hawed. He could not. Well, I don't really have them. I'm <laughs> like, you are a CPA firm. You cannot produce me a profit and loss statement or a balance sheet. You have got to be kidding me. I could not believe it. He gave me some schedules. I said, nice schedules. No. I need a double entry integrated accounting of a proper profit and loss so I can figure out the EBITDA, calculate the, the valuation of a company. Uh, but then when I started digging deeper, he says, yeah, a third of my business is a one high school buddy client right. in, you know, over 100 miles away who won't come with you when they, okay, great. So now I, now I don't know what you make. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you have made. You couldn't even give me a copy of a tax return. I think he could, but he didn't want to. And basically, I figured out he has a job and not a business. He didn't have any goodwill whatsoever. He could work for, let's say he was making 100 grand a year. I couldn't tell you if he was or not, but he could have gone to work for 100 grand a year. So in that case, he has a job, not a business. There's nothing to sell me. (laughs) And some other firm, another CPA firm of all things, came and bought that firm at what he wanted, which floored me that they didn't know the questions to ask. And literally a year later, they closed the whole office down. So they paid him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for an office that they closed down a year because they didn't even know as a CPA firm, they didn't even know the questions to ask another CPA. Brian, how does a CPA and an advisor look at the way that you sell a business? I mean, you can just sell it, you know, get the check, but there are many other ways that you can do that as well, too. How does the way you sell a business affect the tax that you'll pay? Well, there's obviously there's the tax situations, uh, the differing ways of are you going to record it as capital gain, ordinary income? Are you selling it on installment sale? One of the most important things is in your exit strategy, who are you selling to? This comes into play with farms, farm succession. I have a webinar on that. Are you selling it to your kids? Are you selling it to employees, to a corporation? Are you doing an installment sale, spreading that over time? Or are you selling it all at once and, and allowing yourself a chance for a 1031 exchange? And then come the financing questions. Uh, If you are selling to employees, what happens if they don't run the business well and you go, oh, I'm set up for life. I get $10,000 a month for 15 years, no problem. And six months into it, you're like, huh, my mailbox is empty. Where's my check? And then you realize, oh, they lost our major supplier in our, our contracts and they had a falling out in my business. Uh, gee, it says closed and I'm never going to get any more checks. Uh-oh. 
uh, maybe I should have talked to them about an SBA 7A loan or something, some kind of takeout loan where they put up the collateral and I get a check up front, or maybe I shouldn't have sold it to them at all. But I didn't ask for their finances and I didn't ask for their uh, business plan and et cetera, et cetera. So again, I, I could do this all day long, but there are a lot of attributes and not every CPA is created equal. Not every business broker, financial planner, business, uh, whatever is created equal. So there can be a lot of nuances. You just want to make sure you're working with somebody before you do the deal. Make sure you're talking to somebody that acts, you feel like understands the nuances of the staging, of the taxation, of you getting paid in the long run, of the succession planning that needs to go into a, a place before you transact this optimally. And Brian, I want to point out to our listeners as well, too, we're not business brokers. We've had calls about that. We don't uh, sell the business for you, find an owner, but we can help you stage that business so that you can possibly get the most that the business is worth. Brian, very few people have pensions out there these days. The new pension is managing your 401k or managing your business or the sale of your real estate. Yeah, you know, uh, in the old days, there wasn't as much tax planning to go on because if you got a pension, you had no choice as to when the money was coming. They'd tell you, you know, you're getting X per year and it's all taxable. Simple. That's it. There's nothing to do. Well, now with 401ks, you elect when to take the money. And based upon what your bracket may be, will change how much tax you have. Since you can elect to, to do it on yourself, that may be, uh, you know, uh, affect your Social Security decision when you take that or Roth conversions and all. So all of a sudden we have a tax planning aspect of managing your own 401k as a substitute for your pension. Alternatively, with your business, same thing. You have many opportunities. If it owns real estate, you have the 1031 exchange. If not, if it has goodwill, you have opportunity zone investments, you have installment sales to spread it out or not. You have choices as to how your taxation may occur or may not occur. And finally, with real estate, if that's the assets that's going to be your pension substitute, you have choices as to how you can spend your time, whether you want to go into passive real estate, defer the tax using a 1031 exchange, when to do that, uh, whether to take some boot out of the exchange and uh, uh, for liquidity and pay some tax at a low rate. So again, the pension planning has gotten very much, many more opportunities, I'll I'll say, from the old days when it was just, well, here's your money, you're going to pay tax. Now we have to manage our own pension, essentially our own retirement through our 401k, through our business or through our real estate. Brian, if our listeners are listening to this program today and they're thinking to themselves, I may be missing something because I'm not using a CPA and an advisor. I've got a business. I've got real estate. I've got farmland. And they're worried about missing some opportunities. I want you to listen up because this is for you. We've opened the phone lines for you right now. So you can call 833-673-7373 and request your comprehensive Madrona analysis. It's just a very simple phone call and it's a very simple appointment for you so that you can ask the questions that you need to put you on a path towards a successful retirement. Now, again, you've got to have $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify. But if you do, we'll be happy to send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Don't miss out on some opportunities or blind spots that, when addressed, could affect the quality of your retirement that could last 30 plus years. Once again, that telephone number, 833-673-7373. Call it right now. Phone lines are open, 833-673-7373. And remember, this one call, it really could make all the difference. Well, Brian, we've had a great conversation today. By the way, if our listeners have missed any part of the program, we're a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Brian Evans, Growing Your Wealth. You'll find this show and daily takeaways so that you can stay on top of your journey towards a successful retirement. Brian, out of time for this week, I want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I really want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week, right here with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your own individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification 
allocation guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DSD investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuers offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliate entities. Madrona Financial Services, LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans, Inc., PC. Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.